All right, God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for each person here tonight. I thank you, God, that we can come here and the freedom to have, to be able to worship you in public. I pray, God, that we'd recognize that there are people all over the world that would never get this chance. So, God, we worship you, we celebrate you, we thank you. Open our hearts as we uh, open your word. Open our hearts as we begin to explore your heart. Help us, God, to not leave this circle the way we came in it. Help us to be literally transformed by your word. I pray something that's said or sung tonight changes us to be more like you. Help us, God, to surrender more so we can be more like you. Help us to put aside our biases, our prejudices, our preconceived ideas about ourselves and help us, God, to see the world the way you see it. We love you. We thank you for each person here and how you've arranged the world for them to be here. I pray, God, we capture all that's in this moment. May your spirit speak to us, teach us, mold us, and shape us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I thought I'd talk tonight about... Um, well, it's going to be several things. Um, I'm going to start talking a little bit about homelessness and our homeless ministry. And I think that's going to lead us into some pretty good discussion about what evangelism really is and what it looks like and what Jesus intended for us to be doing. So you may not know this, but uh, my wife Tammy and I have been involved in homeless ministry for, I would say, 25 years. Um, and our church is uh, not primarily focused on the homeless, but ever since Tammy and I have been leading a church, uh, homeless ministry has been a key part of uh, what we do. And um, it started out uh, years ago. I was on the board of directors of the Dream Center in Los Angeles um, and started mobile medical ministries out there. And then um, when we came to Sarasota, <laughs> I asked where the homeless people were and they said, we don't have any. And I said, well, you definitely have them. Where are they? And I began, uh, you know, one of the things I think that I've learned over time is you just start where you are with what you have. And I uh, began down in Gillespie Park under a tree with some Band-Aids. And I saw this guy that had an open wound on his leg. And I told him that I really thought I could help him. And he said, you know, I've been to doctors over and over. No one's ever been able to help me, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I was able to get him to let me treat him. And then I told him, come back in a week and I'll meet you here again and we'll do it again. And each week the number grew until eventually I had about 30 or 40 people uh, that would show up every Sunday. And they uh, held a, a church service. Uh, while we treat people medically, they would have worship and uh, a church service and a meal. And the neighbors in Gillespie Park got all mad at us. And uh, I had to go in front of the city council and... Um, defend what we were doing. Um, and um, they asked me, because uh, the whole time they were talking about how horrible it was that we were treating these people um, and claiming that we were leaving needles and blood, which is just ludicrous. But the whole time I just felt God just tell me just to be quiet. So I didn't say anything. And then one of them asked me, they said, well, you've been quiet through all this. Um, what do you think? And I said, if I was a veterinarian taking care of puppies, you guys would think this was great. But I'm not, I'm a doctor and I'm taking care of humans. Um, and I don't really understand why we're even all here. And to this day, I still don't understand. Um, uh, we eventually got a mobile 
like a motor home and convert it to a mobile medical unit. Uh, we started treating uh, people across from the Salvation Army every Sunday afternoon. But we didn't just want to treat them, we wanted them to actually have a safe place to be because we knew that ministry is relational. If it's nothing else, it's relational. And so across from the Salvation Army, every Sunday we threw a block party and uh, we cooked hot dogs out, hamburgers out. We pulled the mobile unit up and treated people. We had um, um, oh, cornhole, basketball. I mean, we it was just a block party. And uh, we would see about 100 to 120 homeless people. We were there from about one o'clock to five or six o'clock. And then uh, the ministry grew and we ended up going to Tarpon Springs and Tampa on different nights of the week and all volunteer doctors, all volunteer nurses um, and just treating people. And um, then we eventually opened up a coffee shop across from the Salvation Army because we discovered that people who stay there at night are kicked out at 4.30 in the morning. Um, and so a lot of young ladies were out in the darkness at 4.30 in the morning with nowhere to go. So we opened a coffee shop uh, across the street from the Salvation Army uh, that opened at four in the morning and closed at 10 a.m. Uh, and it was really just for them to have a safe place to be. Um, eventually, uh, that ministry grew uh, and we ended up with a place over off 17th Street where we started serving meals and then about four years ago, we moved the ministry here. Um, and we see on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, we see about 125 people, probably. We serve two to three meals every day, somewhere between 50 and 70 showers. Uh, we provide mail services. We provide um, job applications, job training. Um, we uh, have Bible studies for them on Wednesday afternoons. We have a church service for them on Saturday nights. Um, and it's interesting to me because most people who do ministry, I don't think fully understand the message that Jesus gave us about caring for other people. Um, and it, it's, it's really a mindset. Um, and, and so I just want to sort of start that discussion. I, I'll tell you that when I pray about our church, um, what I see is a vision. And that vision is I see people holding on to whatever they have, literally coming up the road. And, and there's a war zone behind them. There's like smoke and fire and bombs going off. And, you know, you've seen those pictures of refugees that like leave a war zone, right? And, and I see them coming to us as a church. Um, and they're literally refugees from a war they don't even know is going on. Their whole life, they've been in a spiritual battle and Satan has been kicking their butt and they have no idea. They don't know what's wrong, they just know something's really wrong. And so many of them have uh, become addicted, many of them have all kinds of issues. And one of the things that um, struck me was most of them are coming and they've given up on themselves, they've given up on uh, their future, and they're just looking for somebody to tell them that they matter to someone. And, um, you know, the one thing I've learned about evangelism is it's relational. Um, if you want to reach somebody for Christ, you have to develop a relationship first. Uh, most people um, don't come to Christ from megaphone man on the corner yelling at them. Okay, somebody they trust, somebody who has... Uh, 
exhibited a Christ-like life, somebody who truly cares about them can share the gospel with them and, and have things respond, okay? Now, one of the things I think that the difference between the way Jesus saw people and a lot of Christians see people is too often I see people come into our ministry with a heart of, I'm better than you are. Uh, I've made it, you haven't. Um, I'm saved and you're not. Uh, I'm gonna serve here and I'm gonna serve down to you uh, because honestly, I, I'm not you, but I'll help you out because I feel better about it. And it's interesting because um, it's really hard. When you're first blush, you might think, well, that's not me. But often when we do serve other people, we do think, wow, you know, I, I'm not where you are because I'm not addicted or I'm not drugged out or I'm not whatever. Um, and one of the things I've learned about people is you never know what they've walked through. Um, I, I can tell you stories. Uh, we have a guy in our church now that's a believer and he's been sober for 15 years. Um, he grew up here in Sarasota, sexually molested at the age of six by his dad age of nine by his mom. They sold him out for sex by the time he was 11. They hooked him on alcohol before he was 10. Um, he was using uh, uh, heavy drugs, LSD, mollies, and others by the time he was 14. He left school at 12 because nobody took him to school and nobody seemed to care. His parents told him that he was old enough at 12 that he needed to go out on the street and live. So he did where he had to pretty much prostitute himself to survive. Um, he ended up going to New York because he thought that somehow it would be better there, and of course it was horribly worse. Uh, when he turned 18, thankfully somebody got him into the Navy, um, and um, he came out of the Navy, came back to Sarasota, was one of the biggest street drug pushers in town for 15 or 20 years. Um, and then one day somebody met him, um, and began to care about him. And he says the first time anybody had ever really cared about him in his life. And he became open and began to um, uh, be open to the gospel. Um, most of the people that are in homeless ministry, um, you know, I hear all the time, people say, well, just get a job or quit drinking or quit using drugs or whatever. And to me, it's so narrow and so arrogant. Most of the people that are homeless couldn't hold a job if you got it for them. And it's not that they're incompetent, it's not that they're not intelligent. Every person in authority in their life has blistered them. Every time they've given their trust to anybody, it's been violated. Most of the young ladies that are in our ministry have been selling their bodies and sexually assaulted since they barely reached menstruation. Um, every authority figure in their life has used them, abused them, hurt them, and they've put up walls that are so tall that when they go somewhere to work and somebody in authority even tells them a minor constructive thing, they don't have the self-esteem to be able to handle it. And they fall apart. It literally takes them back to being a six-year-old girl hiding in a closet. Um, it's very difficult for them to hold jobs. Addiction means you can't not do what you're doing. I mean, that's by definition, you can't stop drinking or you would. You can't stop shooting drugs or you would. Uh, many of these people, um, they didn't go to kindergarten and say in front of their class, you know what, when I'm 28, I, I really wanna be homeless. 
and I want to be addicted to a drug, and I want to be able to sell my body just so I can get to the next six hours so I can buy my next hit. And I hope I have a really nice box on the corner where I can maybe pitch a tent where all the needles and, and human crap is. Um, and they don't do that. They didn't want to be there. Their parents uh, often failed them. Uh, the foster system failed them. But we have an entire mass of people who um, have lost hope. They've given up on themselves. They've given up on God's ability to help them. Most of them think God is against them. Uh, most of them are angry at God because he put them in circumstances that they see were unprotecting, unloving, and um, uh, very difficult for them. On the other hand, they almost all um, have a deep need to be reconnected to that which they never had. And it's amazing to me how when you sit down and actually talk to somebody, and here's the other thing is, I see people that come into our ministry and it's almost like they're looking to put a notch in their gun. Like I'm gonna convince this person they need Jesus, I'm gonna pray for them, and then I'm gonna say I saved them, okay? I've been in ministry 30 something years, I haven't saved a person yet. Um, Holy Spirit saves people. Don't take credit for what God does. And I know to the core of my being that if I traded places with any of these people, I would be where they are, okay? I mean, I happened to grow up in an upper middle class family with parents who loved Jesus, loved church, loved God, loved me, supported me, encouraged me, provided education, it was very important. They were able to send me to college. Um, they I always had a roof over my head, I always had a safe place. Uh, and, you know, my parents were never abusive. They were never any of those things. Um, and uh, looking back on it, God gave me an incredible advantage uh, because of where he put me when I was born. And that's not anything I did. I, I don't know why that happened. And yet still I walked away from God. And had he not grabbed me by the collar and pulled me back, I'd still be going the direction I was going. And, and so one of the things I want us to think about is when you look at evangelism, okay, um, I would encourage you not to ever try to reach somebody else until you see them for the victim that they are. Okay, what do I mean by victim? What I mean by that is every person who doesn't know Jesus is being attacked by Satan. Okay, it comes in all varieties and all forms. It can come materially, it can come uh, through uh, uh, sexuality, it can come through drugs, alcohol, it can come through pride, arrogance. Um, Satan has an unlimited supply of things that he can do to attack people and bring them down. And the problem is, most people don't even know that they're under attack. They have no idea there's a spiritual war going on and that they are literally refugees from that war because they don't know, no one's told them. Um, and so what happens for a lot of them is they lose hope because no one's ever encouraged them. No one's ever supported them. No one's ever told them that God wasn't finished writing their story. No one's ever told them that it takes a lot of crap to make a rose bush. I mean, no one's ever sat them down and said, you know what, everything you've been through only got you to here. There's another place for you to go. And a lot of people tell me, well, you know, we're gonna solve homelessness by getting people a job or by getting them a home or by uh, getting them into programs to keep them from being addicted. It's not the answer. The only thing homeless people need is Jesus. 
they'll never overcome their addiction until they have Jesus. I believe that to my core. And the reason is, it's in James. And James says, he talks about desire leading to temptation, leading to choice, leading to death, okay? Most programs, most secular programs, most of the books in the bookstore talk about getting more willpower and overcoming your addiction with your willpower. And they'll even teach people, you're gonna be an addict every day of your life and you've gotta fight it in your power. That's not what God says. God says, I'm gonna change you into a person that doesn't desire that stuff. You won't need temptation because you're not gonna desire it. I'm gonna change who you are at the core of who you are. And so for a lot of people that come in and out of our ministry, people tell us, you know, they're taking advantage of you. You know, they're, they're getting free food. They're getting clothes washed. You're keeping them from getting jobs. You're keeping them from doing things. You know, they're just totally taking advantage of you guys. Uh, you're a generous church and you're helping them, but you know, they'll just take what they can get and uh, they will uh, manipulate and use you and whatever you give them, they're gonna sell for drugs. Uh, and my answer to them is always the same. And it's, um, why do you expect people who don't know Jesus to act like they know Jesus? It makes no sense to me. I, I don't expect people who haven't been told about Jesus, who haven't surrendered to him, to follow him. In fact, I'd expect the opposite. They're doing exactly what I thought they would do. If I'd been on the streets my whole life and had been manipulated and, and raped and taken advantage of and, and addicted and, and all those things, I'd be guarding the crud out of me too. I wouldn't let anybody near me. I'd have a wall so big to protect myself. Um, and if you don't see the hurt in people, you can never evangelize. Okay, and that's really important to understand. We have to pray until we see people who are lost as victims of an attack by Satan and um, people who, they don't need a program, they don't need somebody to tell them they're sinners, they don't need somebody to tell them they're gonna burn in hell. They need somebody to come alongside of them and say, let me share with you why I have the hope that I have. It's interesting that when Jesus looked out on the crowd, um, he said um, that he had compassion on them because they were uh, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus saw non-believers, harassed and helpless. Okay, helpless means they can't help themselves. They're lost. They have no ability to pick themselves up and do it the American way and just go get a job and a house and stop shooting drugs they've been on for 20 years. Okay, they're helpless. And what that means is somebody's gotta help them. And then he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. Well, a sheep without a shepherd is vulnerable. They're isolated. They're unprotected. They have no guidance. They don't know where to go. Uh, the chances of them surviving are pretty low. And, and so when you think about other people who don't know Christ, it's very easy to sit on this side of salvation, full of the Holy Spirit, empowered with the gifts of the Spirit, uh, living out the fruit of the Spirit, knowing the Word of God, knowing the truth, and then looking at other people and going, well, why don't you know what I know? Why can't you do what I did? Why are you acting like a pagan? Okay, and, and I think it's important to realize that people who don't know Christ, the last survey, 82% of them felt judged by those who are Christians. Wow. Okay, now here's a question. Tell me in the Bible, where Jesus took the sins of a non-believer and put it in their face to manipulate them to follow him. 
The answer is never. Jesus never went to a non-believer and shamed them into following him. Okay? He had a great chance with a woman caught in adultery. He could have made a speech. He could have made an example of her. He could have just drilled her down, made her feel so guilty in her sin, and made a big example of her. He didn't do it. Same thing with the woman at the well. Could have done it. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. She'd done all kinds of things by the time she met Jesus. And instead, he just loved them. Truly loved them. And he did have harsh words, but his harsh words were only for believers. His harsh words were, what is crawling all over me? I don't know what that was. His harsh words were for the Pharisees who professed to follow God and were standing up and above the people oppressing them in God's name. That's what he couldn't stand. It was the religious people who, who didn't care about anybody. They, they didn't love anybody. And it's interesting that you know Jesus was very harsh on them. He called them vipers, brood of vipers. And so it's important to understand that the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, is that people on this earth who don't know Christ need compassion and love, not judgment. Okay, what's the first line of the Ten Commandments? Have we talked about that? First line of the Ten Commandments? Are you talking about like the first commandment or the thing that... The first line. What does God tell them? Do these things that... No. I am the Lord your God. Okay. Therefore, these are your commandments. What happens if he's not the Lord your God? Those are not your commandments. You can't expect people who don't know Jesus to act like they do. And it's incredibly arrogant that people who've been saved with the Holy Spirit turn to people who don't have the Holy Spirit and judge them because they're acting like pagans. Of course they're acting like pagans. It's all they know to do. No one's told them anything different. And so it's important to understand that um, when we look at other people, we have two choices when we look at those that don't know Christ. We can look at them and we can say, okay, well, there's a drug addict, there's a pimp, there's a prostitute, there's a whatever. Put a label on them, whatever you want. Um, and they should have studied in school, they should have got a job, they shouldn't be addicted to drugs. There's really no purpose in them. I don't know why they're here, they're kind of in the way. And before you say that doesn't happen, I'll tell you that having been in ministry for 30 years with the homeless, there's not a lot of churches doing it because you have to have a very unique heart. You have to see people as victims, not as failures, okay? If, if we heard that over down the street on the corner, there was a big fight and a bunch of people were beat up and they were bleeding and they're hurt and some of them had broken arms and they stumbled up this hill to our church, we would reach out, hold them, help them, do whatever we could, find blankets, find bandages, whatever, right? Because we know they just left a war over there and they got beat up and they're hurt. Yet the same people can come here who have been spiritually abused, spiritually beat up uh, for years and we act like they shouldn't be here because they make us uncomfortable. Um, you know, our church is a little unique. We don't have a children's ministry, really, not a large group of children, because we have so many homeless people here. Um, and it's okay, I get it. Um, but the problem here is that you've got to decide where value comes from. 
Okay, now, what's the last thing Jesus did before he left the upper room? Well, one of the last things. Balled a towel in a basin. Okay, and what did he say when he did that? You don't understand this now, but you will later. Okay? Do you know that washing feet is the only thing you could not command a slave to do in the first century? Washing feet was considered so dirty, so filthy, so beneath anybody, even if you had a slave, you couldn't command them to wash your feet. It's the equivalent of wiping your ass today. Okay? It's just the way it was. Okay? That culture was very big about feet. Yet Jesus kneels down and washes feet, and he says, look, you don't understand this right now. But you will. You will. And Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He came to give up his life for other people. He came because he loved people unconditionally. It didn't matter who you were, where you were, what you had done, what you've been through. It literally didn't matter. All that mattered was that he wanted love shared with them at all costs. That you penetrate people with his love. And his love is unconditional. That means there's no condition that he doesn't love. And what Jesus had the ability to do was to see somebody who's sinning and know who to hate. See, we see people who are sinning and we, we, we hate them. Jesus knew how to see the sinner and hate the one that makes them sin. He understood the enemy, Satan, not people. The enemy is what Satan is doing to people, not the people themselves. In fact, all of us were at one time followers of Satan. And the only reason we're not is because God's rescued us. He opened the truth so we could see. So one of the things when you start thinking about this and you apply it to homeless ministry, people seem to get it. But the same principle applies on Longboat Key. You can be just as imprisoned with your money, your resources, your pride, your arrogance. You can be just as lost in your own self-esteem as people are in their own self-deprecation. You can be just as addicted to power and wealth as people are to heroin and cocaine. It doesn't matter. And here's the thing you gotta understand. Every person who doesn't know Christ is in a battle that they're losing. Every person. It doesn't matter whether they're rich, not rich, they're in a battle and they're losing and Satan is gonna bring them down if they don't find Christ. Now, one of the things I think is important to realize is that when we think about um, salvation, when we think about reaching other people, a lot of it does boil down to how you see yourself and whether you recognize the blessings that have been given to you. Because Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is expected. Okay, we're eternal beings that have been spiritually reborn. It's incredible when you think about it. We've been empowered with a power that's not ours. The truth has been revealed to us that makes everything make sense. And, And our desire should be, I wanna share that with everybody. But the first line of the, of the Ten Commandments, God said, I'm the Lord your God. And one of the things that God made very clear 
is relationship has to precede rules, okay? If you learn nothing else tonight, relationships precede rules. If you want somebody to, to listen to you, to submit to authority, to, to understand truth, you better develop a relationship with them first, okay? John Madden was a football coach who did more than make a video game. Uh, but they always laughed about him because every year when his football team would come to training camp, he'd learn about every person in the training camp. He learned about their family, where they were from, what their hopes were, where they played college. He knew everything about everybody, what their kids' names were. And they asked him once, they said, why do you do that? You're gonna have to cut half of them. And he said, if you know you're gonna make withdrawals, you better make deposits. And that's something to think about because none of us like to be told what to do from somebody we don't know. Just think about it. Somebody comes up and starts telling you what to do, your first thought is, who are you to tell me what to do? What you're really saying is, you don't have a relationship with me. Well, why are you telling me what to do? You don't have a relationship. You see, relationships always precede rules. And, and so what God says is, look, I'm the Lord your God. These are your 10 commandments. Okay, because I've established my relationship with you. If we don't have a relationship, these aren't your rules. Okay, well the same thing happens in evangelism. See, I, I, I told our church this weekend, I, I, don't, I don't do seeker services. Um, if anybody's been to our service, they're not seeker services. I, I aim at the believer. Um, and the reason is, if, if our church, we're only 100 people, so we're not a large church, but if we had, Every week, let's say we brought six new people to church and I could tell them about Jesus and I could do a seeker service, then maybe 300 and something people a year, not even that many, uh, yeah, about 300, would come potentially to hear about Christ. But if I can take a group of 100 people, equip them for ministry, fill them up with uh, solid uh, uh, teaching, um, preach the word in season and out of season and encourage them into the ministry that God's equipped them for to equip the saints. They can go out and if they just talk to one person a week, we've reached four, four or 5,000 people. And, and they're gonna know people I don't know. They're gonna know people that trust them. The reason y'all are in this circle is because you knew each other somewhere, somehow. And you allow people to speak to you who you trust and who you know. So evangelism is as much about building relationships so that you can have the foundation to speak about heart things as it is trying to reach people, okay? I am a major non-fan of uh, Megaphone Man. Um, I was walking through Washington, D.C., and this guy's on a megaphone yelling at me, telling me I'm gonna burn in hell. He doesn't know anything about me. Uh, it's, it, and it comes across so arrogant, so judgmental, and so non-relational. And so I think one of the challenges, um, whether you're doing homeless ministry, or you're in school, or you're in your job, and you're trying to reach the people around you, um, is work on building relationships. And not just fake relationships, I mean real, learn to get to know people. Learn their stories, uh, find out about them. Find out what their challenges are, what their things are. You, you'll, you'll make a lot of great friends and you'll understand a lot more. If you go to somebody trying to convert them, 
they'll feel it right away. I mean, people know when they're being played. Okay, we're not here to have people play. We're here to help them find Christ. And so when you see people, and it doesn't matter who it is, everybody, the people that check you out at the grocery store, the people that are in the car next to you, the people that cut you off in traffic, the little old ladies that signal left and turn right, I mean, all that stuff. They need Jesus. And honestly, they don't need anything else. I tell our people all the time, if we built out condos back here and gave every one of the homeless people a house, we wouldn't have done anything. If we um, got them all jobs, we wouldn't have accomplished anything because it's not gonna solve their problem. The problem with the world is people need Jesus and they don't have him. And many people who do know Jesus aren't developing the relationships to go talk to somebody about him. We're not being intentionally purposeful about reaching people and praying for the opportunity to reach people. So I wanna encourage you when you're thinking about evangelism, I'm gonna challenge you because it is so much easier to go talk to somebody you don't know about Jesus than it is to go talk to people you do know where you have something to lose. Have you found that to be true? What do you think? Is it easier to go downtown and talk to people on the street you don't know or to go to your workplace and talk to the person that works next to you? What do you think? Silence. (laughs) You think the workplace is easier? What do you think? Okay. Why? Um, Because I already have a relationship with people. Okay. All right. So you've invested in that relationship. And that's generally true. Um, The people that we trust, the people that we know are the ones we're gonna let witness to us. If you think about it, even after you're a mature believer, the people that are allowed to speak into your life are the people that have a relationship with you. I mean, you guys trust each other. Uh, You know that you want the best for each other. So if, if one of your brothers or sisters comes to you and says, hey, I've noticed this, I'm concerned about this, what are you doing? It's okay because the relationship's there, right? I mean, your goal as a believer is that each one of you will make the other one more presentable to Christ. That on the day he returns, you look at each other and go, yeah, we did it. You know, you helped me and I helped you and, and, and we got closer to Christ. So remember that you will see churches, you'll see believers, you'll see non-believers and they want to judge people who don't know God and treat them as if they do. There's people that are all pumped up about putting the Ten Commandments in different places. If only they could change their energy to be pumped up about telling people about Jesus. Um, So what are your thoughts? What's been your experience? Do you see people as victims? So I have a question. Okay. So you, you're talking about having a, rela- a relationship with people is better, right? But so when you see someone who's like homeless or something like that, how do you have a relationship with them in order to keep like the forward them to Christ. What's the best way to really do that? I think two things. One is um, you've got to pray and ask God what he wants done in the moment. 
That's number one. Um, you, you, um, my advice would be that you connect with them where they are and find common ground. So for instance, I don't immediately assume that somebody who's homeless wants something to eat. Um, food's pretty prominent in Sarasota. You can get really fat being homeless around here. Um, what I do is I just go and ask them if I can sit down. And they'll say yes or no. And if they say no, I'll say okay. And then I'll tell them, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. I hope things go well. Uh, I'll be back here another day. Maybe we'll run into each other. And then I purposely try to find them. Um, I think the other thing is let the Holy Spirit lead you where you're going. So, for instance, uh, we took a trip of high schoolers. I don't care if I told you all this or not, to the Dream Center in L.A., and we pull up to this place where there's homeless people everywhere. And I look over and like across the parking lot, there's a dumpster. And there's a guy sitting there and he's reading a book, like in an old plastic beat up chair. And he just looks so unusual. Because everybody else is like stoned out or you know, they're carrying their tent, whatever. He's just sitting over there reading a book. And I kept looking at him and uh, I began praying, God, am I supposed to, uh, he obviously caught my attention. What am I supposed to do? And he said, go talk to him. So I was like, okay. So I walk over there and I said, hey, what book are you reading? And he says, well, I'm reading this book somebody gave me. I'm trying to figure out why I'm here. And I said, what do you mean why you're here? You mean like here next to the dumpster or like here on earth? Both. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I said, well, I don't think that book's going to help you much. But I know a book. I, I think God sent me here from Sarasota to give you a different book. And he looks at me and he goes, you're a lying son of a bitch. <laughs> and I said, okay, all right, okay. I still got a book there. And I said, I, I, well, essentially, yeah. And uh, I said, so uh, you don't want my book? You're not from Sarasota. And I said, yeah, I'm from Sarasota. Me and this whole group of young adults over here, we flew in last night. We're here on a ministry trip. We're from Sarasota. Bullshit, you're not from Sarasota. I said, well, I don't know why this is important, but um, yes, I am. Here's my driver's license. And I hold it up to him. And he starts bawling. And he goes, I'm from Sarasota. Yeah. And he said, I, I used to deliver fur furniture and appliances out on Longboat and Siesta. And he goes, and one night I went to a party and I've never been back and I don't know what happened, but my life's gone. And I'm trying to figure out how to get it back. And I said, I think God sent me here to talk to you about that. Do you have time to talk? So yeah, I, I do. Um, and, and we talked and um, uh, we had a great discussion about God and what God was about and that God hadn't given up on him and that he sent us from Sarasota there to talk to him. And uh, I got him to go to church later that week and he and I connect, stayed connected. He gave his life to Christ and about a week or two later. Um, but I was never pressuring him. I was more interested in developing the relationship. And the reason is God will rearrange the world to connect the message, the messenger, and the mess. And I, I talk about that a lot. 90% of people who come to know Christ will tell you, there was a mess in my life that got my attention. I either knew the message or I finally somehow understood the message. And then God sent a messenger to show me the way home. Most people will say those three things came together. 
maybe I'd heard the story over and over, but I wasn't in my life ready to surrender. Or maybe I heard it over and over, but I never saw anybody truly walk out their faith the way they did. They really cared about me as a person. Uh, I wasn't a notch in their belt. I was somebody they really seriously wanted to help. And, and people can tell your motives. Um, if you're if you're gonna evangelize someone, or you're gonna try to share with them the reason you have the hope, pray until your heart breaks for them before you go talk to them. Make sure that you understand what you're up against because I, I do believe that um, God will break your heart for people. And when your heart's broken for them, not pity, not sorrow, just you're a victim and you don't even know it and I've got the answer for you. It's amazing how people become receptive to your discussions um, because they can feel love, they can feel value. Um, you know, we have people in our cafe that we've been talking to them for 20 years, they haven't come to know Christ yet. Um, and everybody's like, well, why are, you know, what's the problem? They're just not ready. God, God's the one that's gonna do it. We keep loving on them. We keep pouring into them. We keep sharing with them. We keep encouraging them. Yes, they leave here, they get drunk, they get addicted, they come back, they're high or they're stoned, and we keep loving them. And people say, well, why don't you stop? Well, they can't stop. They're not, they're not able to stop. They're addicted. It's what addiction is. If they're gonna overcome their addiction, they need to know Jesus, and they gotta have the power of the Spirit to do it. He'll make them a new person. Uh, and so when you see somebody on the streets, I think a couple things. One is uh, the number one thing people on the streets want. Do you know what it is? Anybody? To be acknowledged. It's all they want. I don't want you to pass by me acting like I don't exist. I don't want you to pass by me looking like I'm some kind of horror shame show. I don't want you to pass by me not realizing that I'm somebody's mom, somebody's dad, somebody's brother, somebody's sister. I'm a person and I matter. And yeah, my life is screwed up and yes, I'm messed up, but don't you dare judge me. Particularly if you claim to know Christ. Um, because honestly, we've done a very poor job, I believe as a church, of sharing the message of the gospel with people who desperately need to hear it. And so usually when I see somebody, uh, like if Tammy and I go to dinner down on Main Street, we can't even walk down the street because we run into so many people. She, she knows every homeless person in town. I know them from the hospital. Uh, it, it's incredible. But I never spend uh, a lot of time engaging them unless I have first um, convince myself that God sent me and I really do care about what happens to them. Um, you know, we have, there's a song, Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours. Um, too many times we try to reach people through our arrogance and we're not broken. Um, we, we're not angry enough at the enemy. We, we treat the person as the enemy instead of the victim that they are. We let Satan off the hook. You're a drug addict, you're a prostitute, you're a hooker, you're a whatever. No, you're a victim of a spiritual war and, and we're supposed to be sent here to help you. I mean, it's, it's literally that clear in scripture. There's a spiritual battle going on and Satan's trying to destroy everybody. And the only way they don't get destroyed is if somebody brings them the news. How will they know if no one tells them? 
So I believe all of us um, need to be ready to share the reason why we have the hope that we have. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big, long, drawn-out story. It's simply, here's where I was, here's what Jesus did for me, and here's who I am now. And I want you to experience what I've experienced. Um, and um, I, um, I see a lot of homeless people who just want to be acknowledged. They just want to be aware that you know they're there and that you care about them. Um, and so usually what I'll try to do is I try to find common ground. Uh, and I'll sit down and I always ask permission. This is their house, right? That corner is their house. Uh, is it okay if I sit here? And some of them will tell you to go to hell. Some of them will tell you, yeah, and they're just hoping you shut up because they, they feel, and here's the thing. They're not resisting you because of you. They're resisting you because of what you represent, okay? I'll give you another example. We had a homeless lady, when we were in Dallas years ago, we did a thing where we went down to the local shelter downtown and we decided that there were a lot of kids down there and we decided that every kid should have a birthday party. And so once a month we went down there and we celebrated every kid's birthday that was that month and every kid got a present and then all the other kids got presents too, but it was their birthday, their cake, all that sort of stuff. And one of the moms was really moved by that because they were uh, there and I took her to our church um, thinking this is like the best thing in the world. She's gonna find Jesus, she's gonna, we're gonna go to church, she's gonna do whatever. We walked into church and she immediately turned around and left and asked me if I'd drive her home. And I said, well, no, come on in. And she's like, no, no, no. And all the way home, I kept asking her, what's wrong? Why, why aren't you, my wife and I were in the car, what's, what's wrong? And she said, they, they could never accept me there. And I said, what, what do you mean they can't? She said, did you look around the room? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, they're all successful white people. They're not gonna accept me. Um, and, and I'm ashamed to go in there. And, and so often what happens is, it's what we represent that makes them so uncomfortable. And it's not because we're bad, it's because they just feel so inadequate. And they've been beat down so long that everybody wants to take advantage of them. Everybody's trying to manipulate them. Everybody uh, says that they care about them, but they don't. Um, and you've gotta be, if you're really gonna do homeless ministry, you've gotta be there all the time. Um, and you gotta keep your promises. So, um, you know, a lot of people like to, um, uh, and I'm not, I'm not beating it at all, uh, taking sandwiches downtown and talking to people, that's fantastic. But if you really want to reach somebody, you need to find a place where they're going to be many times to where you can actually develop a real relationship with them, um, where you can hear their story. Uh, you can hear whatever. We do a thing. Uh, I would encourage you to come. It's this weekend. Um, every Super Bowl and every Thanksgiving, we do a, a, a football party for the homeless. Um, and we basically usually serve wings and chips or something and uh, watch the football game. And... It's amazing to me how we all have everything in common. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like for those three hours, we're all watching the Super Bowl. Um, they're just as interested in the commercials as everybody else is. They've all got their teams. You know, they're in a safe place. Um, and it's a great place to connect with people. And the question really is, 
do we love Jesus enough and do we love them enough to really connect with them, to engage them, to find out who they are and what their hopes were, what their passions are and what their disappointments are and what their struggles are and, and to come alongside them and actually try to reach them and care for them. Um, you know, Jesus was a servant. Uh, you never serve down, you serve up. Um, you, you always serve up. Um, and so, like in our cafe, we designed it to look like a restaurant because we didn't want it to be the traditional folding tables, folding chairs, here's your meal, go sit over there and eat. We wanted it to be a place where people could come and talk to people. People could come and share things. There's a, you know, I've uh, done more evangelizing over crossword puzzles than almost anything else, or jigsaw puzzles, right? Uh, everybody at their core, we're all, we're all people. And yeah, they're struggling, but that struggle doesn't have to be alone. So my encouragement is, if you see someone who's homeless, don't give them money. Don't give them money. Money's not good, no money. Um, Probably they have plenty of food. Um, at least in Sarasota, food's not that scarce. Um, they, um, if they're talking to you, they're probably lying and manipulating you, because that's what they do, because that's what's worked for them. It's okay, don't, don't feel bad about it. Um, they're not gonna open up to you and trust you, they're gonna lie to you. Um, there's sort of a joke among some of the ministry folks that if their lips are moving, they're lying because that's all they know to do. And that's what's kept them safe so far. Um, they'll tell you stories of fanciful stories that don't exist. Um, and when they care about you enough to tell you the real story, you'll find amazing moments of God. So for instance, Tammy, my wife, um, periodically will uh, drive people to like, um, court appearances or, um, you know, get a driver's light, whatever it is, she's always driving people around. And uh, she took this one lady to clean out her camp and to move somewhere else and do it. Anyway, this woman just kept like, uh, you know, like Tammy wanted to be done. And she kept finding more things for her to do for her. And uh, finally, Tammy decided that they needed to eat. So they stopped at a Wendy's and, uh, you know, Tammy's thinking, when do I get out of this? You know, I need to go do other things, blah, blah, blah. And this woman reaches in her bra, pulls out this yellow Ziploc bag, and inside of it are three or four pictures of her children. And she begins to tell Tammy about each child. And Tammy said it was like this mother moment. We just realized you're a mom, whether you're homeless, whether, I mean, they're, they're your kids. and. You know, it was incredible, she said, because it was clear God was in that moment. And you never know when he's gonna open up the moment um, and allow you to see people the way they are. Uh, I pray all the time, God help me to see them the way you see them. Because right now they're yelling at me, spitting at me, throwing their you know what at me, telling me I should leave them alone and they're angry and they're cornered and they're afraid and I need to see them the way you see them. Uh, and almost always, he shows you a scared child who has been abused their whole life and is just trying to protect themselves. And when you start to see people that way, when you start to understand that they're being attacked, they've been lied to, they've been betrayed, um, 
and they don't know Jesus. They, they don't know, they don't even have an answer. They're like totally hopeless. Um, and the beauty of it is, is that when they do come to Christ, they know what they've been saved from. And too often, I think, we try to project our understanding on them without trying to understand who they are. Uh, your primary goal in evangelism is to learn who the person is. Find out what they believe already. A lot of people grew up in a church and God's just disappointed them so many times they don't know what to do with it. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that um, I've um, never helped somebody, well, I can't say that. I've Most of the time, helping people find Christ has nothing to do with explaining the Bible. Okay, uh, it's really important to understand. You aren't told to go be a scholar. You're not told to be able to defend where dinosaurs showed up in Genesis. Um, you're told to be a witness and to be a witness that testifies. Okay, in other words, this is where I was, this is what happened when I met Jesus, this is who I am now. And you're a witness that testifies. A lot of believers are witnesses, they just won't testify. They won't tell people what's happened in their life. And so what you'll find is, is that when you start listening to the Spirit and you begin to talk to people and you really try to understand them as a person, they're really great people. I mean, yeah, they're, they're being attacked and yes, they have addictions and yes, they have whatever, but there's some really amazing people that come in and out of this cafe every day um, and they have enormous potential. And what I love about them is, do y'all call the fire department? What I love about them, I mean, it sounded like that was dying. Um, what I love about them is there's no pretense. I mean, they'll lie to you, and they know they're lying to you most of the time, but they don't pretend to be something they're not. They are what they are, and they know it. And they have an incredible community among themselves. They watch out for each other, they care for each other, um, and um, they steal from each other, and they beat up each other, and they drink with each other, and they abuse each other, and they're a lot like a church family uh, in a lot of ways. So. The key is that um, when you really start thinking about people, I want you to see Satan for who he is and what he's doing to people. And that should break your heart and it should really tick you off. Um, it doesn't matter whether they're homeless or whether they're millionaires. If they don't know Jesus, they're being attacked and they're losing the battle. Um, so other thoughts? Something. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's no space then for uh, like street corner megaphone evangelists? Uh, no, I think there is if it's done correctly. Okay, I mean, what? Mean? well, the typical megaphone, when I say megaphone man, usually it's somebody and they followed, uh, okay, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments and I'm going to show you that you send on one of them and therefore you're a sinner and the Bible says sinners go to hell, so you're going to go to hell. If you don't say this prayer, you need to say this prayer with me so I can say I saved you, okay? The problem is, if I'm not a follower of Christ, that book means nothing to me, nothing. I mean, don't take people down a Roman road for a book they don't believe in. I mean, we do it all the time. You'll see believers say, well, let me, tell, let me show you what Romans says, or let me show you what this says, or let me tell you what this says, and you're quoting a source of authority that's your source of authority, but not theirs. Okay, most evangelism, in my opinion, doesn't involve scripture, at least straight up. It involves living out scripture, 
so that people that don't know the love of Christ can feel it. But often what you're called to do is to witness. Okay, now here's the thing. You can't witness what you haven't seen, right? So if there was a car wreck down there at that light and they came over and said, can you testify in court to what you saw? You couldn't be a witness because you didn't see it. Okay, but if you saw it, you could be a witness. Okay, so when Jesus says, go be my witnesses, he's not asking you to go defend scripture. He's not asking you to, I mean, he'll take care of that himself. Uh, the scriptures aren't gonna make any sense to a non-believer until they have the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we know that. Uh, the scriptures themselves say they're, they make no sense without the Spirit. So when we pull out the Bible and start pointing at passages as if they have authority, for that person, they have no authority. But when you sit down and go, let me tell you my story. You know, I was born here, I did this, I did that. Here's where I found myself. I got to the end of myself. Um, I knew something was missing, I knew it. And I knew something that was missing was spiritual. I could just feel it. I, I, there was a connection that I was missing. I was incomplete. And then one day I walked into this place and I heard about Jesus. And I began to understand what I was missing and I began to understand what happened. And, and I gave my life to Christ. And I know it sounds crazy, but I became a different person. And, and I didn't do it, it happened to me. I, I wasn't, it wasn't like I decided to follow a bunch of rules. I've changed on the inside to someone who wants to do what God wants me to do. And since then, here's what's happened. And now I'm more loving and peaceful and I don't worry as much, I don't, whatever it is. And I would never go back. That's my story, right? And we should all be able to tell that in about three minutes. Here's my story. And it's not about, here's the scripture you need to follow. It's not about whatever. If you're gonna be a witness, witness to what Christ has done in your life and let the Holy Spirit take the rest of it, okay? Um, when we talk about sharing the gospel, Many people think sharing the gospel is telling them about sin, how we've fallen, how we got, you know, drawing the picture of the crevice and all that. And that's all important at one point. But early on, in particular, it's about sharing the reason why you have the hope that you have. Okay, it's, and if you think about it, if we sat down and you told me your story, I can't argue with you about it, it's your story. Right? I mean, there's nothing to argue about. You tell me the story, I listen to it, and I decide what I want to do. Okay? Pull out a Bible passage, we can argue about it. Uh, to me, it's the same as you bring somebody to church and you ask them to stand and worship a God they don't know. What are you doing? Um, or you ask a, a seeker to uh, answer to the Bible. Well, most seekers, the Bible's not the authoritative word of God. It's not a holy book. They don't think God wrote it. They don't know anything about it. And the scriptures make no sense to them. And so my concern is, is that megaphone man often uh, assumes people don't know they're sinners, assumes they need to be shocked into their reality of where they're going. And at least in my opinion, when I watch it happen, I feel more like this is about megaphone man than about the person that's lost. Okay, whereas it's more likely, in my opinion, if somebody said, um, um, like if I was gonna be a, go to the street preaching, I would tell people, um, God hasn't given up on you. Um, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, 
God is still here. He hadn't written the rest of the chapter of your life. He's, he, can reach, he can write a new chapter. He can, he can reach into your life and completely change who you are. I know because he did it to me. And I can't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I didn't deserve it. But, but God literally reached down and picked me up out of the mess that was my life. And I know he'll do the same thing for you. Uh, and you invite people into a discussion, not a, I'm up here, you're down here. I'm going to convict you of your sin so that somehow you'll say a prayer and I can feel better. Um, in my opinion, we're called to be witnesses. And the only thing we can witness is our personal experience with Christ. And somewhere in your testimony, you will connect with them because the Spirit put you there with your story. I mean, if you think about it this way, if you're prayed up and you're asking God, like I don't, I don't go into a situation and, and immediately assume that God wants me to interact with every person there, right? I mean, I just pray, God, wh what do you see here? Why did you bring me here? What, what's the, like if it's an interruption during the day, God, what, what's going on here? What am I supposed to see? Oh, the guy by the dumpster? Okay, okay. Or, or that person, okay, fine. What do you want me to do? I just want you to see them, okay. And I feel like sometimes God has just got you on a, like a journey where he's the tour guide. You know, and you could be walking past a playground and he says, you see that mom over there that's hugging that child who's crying with a skinned knee? That, that's how I see you. Um, and he just shows you life as you go around. But once in a while, he's gonna put on your heart somebody and it's a slam dunk home run. You can't lose. Because if the Holy Spirit's gone ahead of you and God is bringing you to talk to them, it's, a, it's you're done. There's, I mean, there's like, you almost can't stop it from happening. And so, um, the, the key is there's usually some connector. You're from Sarasota or, oh, your name's Mike, my name's Mike, you know, whatever. It's like there's some connector or there's something about your story that God's gonna use to connect you with them in a relationship way. And one of the questions you need to ask yourself is, do I care about people enough to care about them and love them even if they never come to know Christ? Or am I only looking for people that I can convert? And since you can't convert anybody, uh, and I think that's something you need to wrestle with because people are saved because the Holy Spirit revealed truth to them, not because you did something spectacular. God did something spectacular. God reached into their mess, revealed truth to them. They responded. He gave them the faith to respond. He sent somebody there to help them, and they respond, right? So the key really is what's your motive? Um, do you see people hurting and broken and it breaks your heart and you want to see them, are these refugees taken care of? Or do you just think that you have to make an intellectual argument to convince somebody to say a prayer? Two totally different perspectives, right? Uh, and I've never been able to convince somebody in their head to follow Jesus. There's not an argument that works. Now what'll happen is you'll engage somebody in their head you know, they have a question, they have wondering about how could God do this, how could God do that? Okay, and you can help them process that, which may bring down a barrier a little bit, but the only thing that moves somebody to God is their heart moves and the spirit moves them and they fall in love with God. It's a heart thing, not a head thing. Um, and so really the challenge is how do I help people engage with the heart of God? And if I'm carrying the spirit with me and I'm going into a discussion with somebody, the way I engage the heart of God is to be the best Jesus I can be. And he cared about everybody. He didn't, it didn't matter. 
who they were, where they were. If they were non-believers, he told them, go sin no more. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't berate them. He didn't yell at them. He didn't tell them they're going to burn in hell. Now, he told that message. You know, there's hell and gnashing of teeth. He talks about it all the time. But he does it with grace and love and compassion and concern, not judgment, ridicule, and arrogance. Does that make sense? And I think too often we come across more on the second side. So, any other thoughts? Um, something that I was kind of thinking about earlier on, you said something about uh, God doesn't throw sins in people's faces. Mm-hmm. To, uh, manipulate them into following him. Manipulate and berate them. So I was thinking about the stories that you brought up, and one of them was the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? it seems like he, he did kind of do that because he, he called her out on her sin. But mm-hmm. I think the more I thought about it, the more it seems like he used his, That's exactly right. his knowledge to demonstrate that he, he was that he was God. Person, right? Yep. Um, and he'll tell people, you know, go and sin no more. Or he'll tell them whatever. What I'm talking about is, I'm talking about true manipulation, okay? In other words, using the adulterous woman to set an example for everybody else on the holiness of God and the offense of adultery. Uh, And to use, take that woman and move her guilt and shame into a manipulation of surrendering, okay? What he did is he basically said, Look, no one else accuses you, neither do I, right? And then he says, you know, basically go and, and send no more. So, I mean, she's the one person who could throw the stone didn't, right? He said anybody who's without sin can throw the stone. Well, he's the only one that could do it, and he didn't do it, okay, because his focus wasn't on judgment. His focus was about restoration, um, I'm not saying that he didn't judge and he didn't preach the gospel. He did. But he never manipulated people in their sin. He never went to a sinner and said, look, look at what you did. You know, That's why you're going to burn in hell. He never did that. The Pharisees, yeah. You claim to follow God and manipulate people and don't follow God, he'll come after you. He'll turn over tables. He'll do all, whips, all kinds of things. But to the non-believer who's trying to understand, trying to find him, trying to seek him, very compassionate, very full of truth, but also grace. Um, if you look in John chapter 1, he alternates grace and truth all the time. He's full of truth. He's full of grace. Okay? Because in the end, love and truth is what moves people to follow Christ. Um, and I think that's just real important. Uh, he still met their needs. He fed them when they needed to be fed. He healed those he needed to heal. But the overall message was one of compassion. And he saw them as victims. He saw them as people that Satan is attacking. He hated Satan. He didn't hate people. He, he always loved the sinner, hated the sin. Uh, and he saw them as deceived. And he saw Satan as attacking. And I think often... We give Satan a pass and we judge the person. Anybody could look at your life at some point in your life and judge what you've done wrong, right? You're a victim of Satan just like anybody else. Um, 
And I think the challenge is to realize that there but by the grace of God go I. Every time I walk through that cafe, I think, this could have been me. Nothing special about me. Uh, God put me in a family that gave me all kinds of advantages. Um, and I took advantage of it. He put me in their family, I'd probably be right where they are. And I had nothing to do with it. Um, you know, there were so many things God put in my path that made me a, a doctor or an educator or whatever. I mean, it's just things I had no control over. Um, but if I'd been in their path, I'd probably be where they're at. And do you care enough about somebody to hear their story? Or you just want to tell them yours? Uh, I think that's an important question. Yeah. That God will break your heart for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, it happened to me. Um, when I, uh, well, okay, I, I followed Christ in church when I was 17. And when I was about 18, I decided I knew more about God than anybody because I was my own God. And I went off for about 16 years. I did my own thing. And when I was 33 years old, it's a long story that I won't bore you with, but it's incredible. God brought me back. Um, and um, almost within two weeks of me surrendering back to Christ and getting rebaptized, my next door neighbor said, hey, um, he was an attorney for a, a mission out on the Dream Center in LA. And he asked me, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a doctor. And he said, well, what kind of doctor? So I'm a consultant. I do, I set up health systems, which is what I was doing at the time. And he looks at me and he goes, you're the one. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, you're the one we've been praying for. I said, no, I'm not. Um, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm not the one you've been praying for. And he says, we gotta go to LA. So like in two days, we're flying out to LA. And he takes me out there and I meet with the board of a ministry out there that's huge, I mean, huge now. Um, and they wanted to start a mobile medical unit. And they've been praying for a doctor, a consultant to help them do it. And I'm like, well, that's not me. And if you'd asked me on that day, what do I think about homeless people? I would have told you. They should have got a job. They should have studied in school. They should have made fun of me when I was doing all the studying and they were doing all the partying. You know, they shouldn't have got addicted to drugs. They ought to go get a job. They ought to find a place over their head and they ought to pick themselves up and quit doing stupid things. And they wanted up in stupid places. Literally, that's exactly what I would have told you. And that's what I told him. And he said, well, I want you to go around today. We're gonna to go to some of the homeless camps. And uh, I just want you to pray to be open to what God wants to show you. I was like, fine. You know, you want me to go tell them they need a job? I'll tell them they need it. I was very arrogant. Um, and uh, we were walking down Sunset Street in LA and there was this guy living in a box. And it, it was the most incredible thing. I. I looked at him and I, and I saw, I didn't see a guy in a box. I saw a little child scared to death with the city noises and the people around him. And uh, I saw him just frightened. I mean, just absolutely frightened to death. Um, and I remember just feeling the overwhelming sadness of lost opportunity, of a lack of hope and, and a, and a, a uh, just this huge, sensation of he was hopeless. I mean, he, he had nothing in his life to look forward to. And God broke my heart. I was bawling like a baby. 
just looking at him, thinking about what it must be like to be him and how arrogant I was to think that somehow I was better than he was. And I mean, literally, it broke my heart. To this day, every time I can't stop thinking, I mean, it's like I saw him uh, literally a scared child. Um, and uh, no one could help him. Everybody tried to reach out to him. He'd yell at him, scream at him, holler at him. He was just trying to protect himself. He, he didn't want anybody to get close to him because of, of what he'd been through. And then, you know, that started the whole homeless ministry. If you'd have told me when I was 31 that I would be doing homeless, I'd tell you you're out of your mind. But I was an arrogant ass, and that's one of the things God changed in me. So what I mean by that is when, you, when you're going through your day, take the Holy Spirit with you. Have a dialogue. You know, what do you want me to do in this moment? Uh, be aware of in, anything that interrupts your day. Pay attention to it. God's brought it there for a reason, okay? We think we have our days all figured out, but at some point, something's gonna interrupt it. And when it does, be ready and ask God, what's going on in this moment? What do you want me to do in this moment? Um, because, you know, our whole lives are about following the Spirit, letting the Spirit lead, and we go where we're supposed to go. Uh, and it's literally like having a tour guide. You know, God, what do you want me to talk about tonight to these guys that are going to show up? Uh, what do they need to hear? Uh, what do they not need to hear? What, you know, what, what do you want to do in this moment? Um, and what you'll find is, is that often whatever you thought you were supposed to do, it's not always what you do. Um, you know, think about this. Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, or Bethsaida, depending on which one you want to pick. Same thing. Um, there were hundreds of people there. And they all went there every day to try to stir the water, be there when the water, remember that story? He, to get to the person that he actually healed, he would have had to step over 50 people. And they knew who he was. He was the healer. It's literally like he was walking through the intensive care unit, bypassing everybody to get to one guy. He didn't heal everybody. He did what the father told him to do. And then when he heals him, he asks him the most bizarre question in the world. What do you want me to do for you? you know, do you want to be healed? Um, and so it's important to realize that not every person in the world is yours to go to. Okay? Let the Spirit lead you and watch what happens. Okay? So if you, um, if you try to go evangelize or, or tell people about Christ without being prayed up, you're probably going to miss the people that the Spirit wants you to talk to because it's probably not the people you think it is. Um, I remember once I was sharing the gospel with this, or just a message of hope with this person um, at the hospital. Um, one of the beautiful things about being a doctor is you're invited into people's lives pretty personally, you know, and, and I asked this guy if I could pray with him, and he said, yeah, and we started talking about Jesus, and I'm sitting there talking about Jesus, and uh, he's being very stiff and resistant, and I'm thinking, man, I'm wasting my time talking to this guy. Um, and he's like, you know, can we finish this? You know, when can we be over? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, so the whole time I'm talking to him, I think, well, God, this is a way, what, what are we doing? I mean, that was a wasted 20 minutes. And then I pull the curtain back and there's a nurse on the other side of the curtain bawling like a baby. And she'd heard the entire message and I had no clue. 
Um, so you never know what God's doing in a moment. Just be faithful to what the Spirit wants you to do. And don't just assume that everything's yours. Uh, every day when I wake up, um, I pray one prayer, God, put somebody in my path today where I can share my story and change their life. Just one person. If you want to do more, that's fine. But put somebody in my path and make sure I'm open and aware that they're there. Uh, because I want to tell people about you. Um, and I, in my experience, if you pray that prayer and you stick to it, you'll know who you're supposed to talk to. You'll feel it. It's like that person over there. Um, go talk to him. Um, and you'll find some incredible connections. God weaves this incredible web of connection. Um, so you're not going to... And that doesn't mean that you ignore everybody else. It just means that God's going to put people in your path that he's already greased the skids. Um, and a lot of times it's just a matter of you may be one of six people that God's got lined up over the next two weeks to bring that person. If you don't know where you are, you just be faithful to what you're supposed to do. Does that make sense? And be prayed up. The main thing is be prayed up, um, specifically prayed up. Um, and be aware, be ready. Uh, another example I'll give you, I was backing out of a parking lot or actually I wasn't moving. The lady was backing up out of the parking lot, slammed right into the back of my car, hit it pretty hard too. And uh, I get out, it was over at the office depot. I get out and she's over there and she's madder than a hornet. Um, and she's like stomping around and she's angry and she's frustrated and she says her husband's gonna beat her and she's gonna have all, you know, she's just ranting and raving and going nuts. And uh, my car was fairly damaged, but she was seriously damaged. I mean, you could just tell her life was just horrible. And yet her car looked pretty good. Uh, and so I just told her, I said, hey, don't worry about it. Have a good day. And I got back in my car and I got ready to leave and she starts pounding on the trunk. What are you doing? And I said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I got it. Um, I hope your day gets better. And then I see her standing there, and then she comes up to the window and she goes, what kind of person are you? And I said, well, you're obviously having a bad day. It's just a car. There's it, it, nothing to it, it's a car. You, uh, you go worry about other things. Uh, God loves you, and just consider this a blessing from him because you're in a tough place. And she starts bawling. And it gave me a chance to tell her about Jesus and that he loves her and um, that, you know, whatever she's going through, she can find safety and security in him. And, um, and it wasn't so much about, I want to save you. It was, I just want to help you take the next step towards God. I think too often we're trying to like convert people when all God's asked us to do is let them take one more step closer. Uh, just lead them to the next step. And then somebody else may come along and lead them to the next step. Um, but show them how much you love them. Show them how much you care about them. Um, and honestly, it was expensive fixing the car, but it, in her world, it was impossible. Um, and so be aware of uh, other things. The other thing I think that I'll tell you is um, I think you need to be intentional in your evangelism. Okay, so for instance... Um, I um, know nothing, zero, about monster trucks, okay? I don't know nothing about monster trucks. I, I've seen the commercials. I've seen the stuff. I don't get it. I know y'all are, yeah, I don't get it, but I get it, all right? 
But about eight years ago, we had a kid in our youth group who was going through a really difficult time. His dad had died, he's a friend of mine, died of a brain tumor and was really trying to just help him find some sense of hope. And he wanted to go to a monster truck thing. And so we got a group of us and we went. Uh, he was 15, I think. Um, and it meant the world to him. Uh, and we were able to talk to him all the way up and all the way back. And he kept, you know, telling us about monster trucks and all this stuff. And, and I had no interest in monster trucks, but I had interest in him. And, you know, if you have somebody that you care about, you want them to know Christ, and you think God's leading you that way, buy a couple of tickets to whatever they like. Make sure it's far away and drive them there. <laughs> okay? Evangelism's purposeful. You know, if you have somebody that loves baseball, go get some tickets to a baseball game and drive them there and spend some time with them uh, and let the discussion turn towards God at some point. Don't do it right away. Let it just turn that way. Um, and be intentional about the people that God's put in your life. Um, if he's burdened your heart for somebody, he's probably calling you to do something, right? Um, and most of the time he's gonna call you to step into a zone that's scary and uncomfortable where you're likely to be rejected the first few times. And it's okay. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. Or they're rejecting their fear of giving up their control that they don't really have, but they think they do. Um, you can't take any of it personally. I mean, every day in the cafe, my wife and I laugh because uh, I go to the, at the hospital, I, I take care of, um, one of the floors I have is the drug addict, psychotic, withdrawal, delusional, psychotic people with medical problems. And a lot of them are the same people that are here. So uh, they yell at you, cuss at you, scream at you because you won't give them their drugs or give them narcotics or whatever it is. And you come over here and they yell and scream and holler and people will tell Tammy and I, you know, they, they just disrespect you. Well, yeah, that's right, they do. Exactly, and it's okay because I don't need respect. I, I need them to find Jesus. And if they want to yell at me and scream at me and put me down and call me names, but eventually I can develop a relationship with them, I'm all in. You can't take any of this personally. Um, people need Jesus and you're sent there to tell them. Uh, so be intentional about your evangelism. Uh, make sure your heart breaks for people that you're talking to. I mean. It's easy to see it when you see a drug addicted crack addict guy in a box. It's a little harder to see in the successful lawyer that's a day away from suicide. But they're all just as desperate and you never know where God's gonna put you uh, if you're open to it. You know, I always think about the scripture that says the, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. How is that possible? Um, and the answer I think is that Churches are full of many witnesses, only a few of which will actually testify. Every believer is a witness to what Christ has done in their life, but not every believer is willing to testify to it. Uh, and we're called to be testifiers. So, any other thoughts? I know it's kind of random, but... Think about when you came to Christ or got serious about Christ or dedicated your life to Christ, or some of you may have grown up in the church, I don't know. What did it take to reach you? Don't be shy. I mean, what did it take? 
Was it a friend? Was it a bad moment in your life? What was it? For me, it was a combination. Okay, of what? It started with a bad moment in my life. Okay, so that's the mess. Yeah, there's the mess. That was, yeah, definitely a mess. And then um, moved off to college a few days after mom passed. And then um, a friend that I only, uh, we connected, we are both around the same uh, speed on the cross-country team. Yeah. Like all the workouts and everything, we always like finish together. But uh, he invited me to a Bible study. I only know him like a couple weeks. And uh, it was there that I heard the full gospel. Mm-hmm. And like, it just, it really clicked. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that like, just the, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that it is for by grace you've been saved. Mm-hmm. And by works, grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, it's name of yeah. Like, that verse has always been like, that was like the first verse that like hit you hit me like a ton of bricks um, yeah because my church that I grew up in was heavily works is a really big deal yeah everything from all the make sure you felt the sacraments you know I was oh like, yeah Catholic church, no. Catholic church yeah and I had the right essays they do guilt well what's that they do guilt well oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah and even it's been crazy since then all the Catholics the Lord's put in my path share the gospel with because like, mm-hmm. like you I can, see myself you can talk to them sure I, God I, never wastes pain and he never wastes your experiences okay I mean each and I, the older I get the more I realize that everything happened in my life was training me for something God wanted me to do um, and I think that's true but what you're describing you'd heard the message before though right I'm sure it just never hit me like it never why did it hit you this time well it was a combination of um i was mass, really mass, good friends mass. with this guy yeah like we only know each other a couple of weeks but just you know one of those people who just like connect with and um yeah he'd already we'd already uh, like had a lot of conversation because run running together like you know the whole time so you're yeah and um and then it just like Honestly, I wasn't even like thrilled about going to this. It was kind of like. Of course not. He just kind of like, hey, you should come to this. And I had nothing better to do. Yep. Um, so I went. And then, but they were all, it was a, maybe a group of like eight or nine guys, I think. Um, yeah, and all of them were just like, there was something different about all of them, of course. Uh, it really hit me like, like, first of all, Growing up, no one there was no such thing as Bible studies. Like <laughs> people didn't have right. Bible studies. Um, Catholic Church, like it was never like my church. It was never, you know, no one ever read the Bible for themselves, and uh, and no one also like all, everyone was in the same boat. Like the parents kind of forced them into it. Like yeah. no one ever wanted to be there. Um, the parents would drag them through all the, all the sacrament process. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I remember even in my essay, one of my essays I wrote that. I had to explain how this process has made me a strong believer and how this process, what I'm gonna do for the church. <laughs> In this one essay, I had to explain how how this, the sacrament of confirmation has changed my life and, and what I'm gonna do with what I learned for the church. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone had all these grand things they wrote and 
you know, they even had the, the essays, um, like, uploaded on the website, I think, for a period of time, and they had, in the, in the hallway, they had everyone's pictures was confirmed, like, Wow. You know, our faith and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'll never forget, the week after confirmation, there was, like, low 30s, I forget how many, but remember it was more than 30. Uh, myself and others were confirmed into the church, right? And the next week, there was me and two other people, after 30-some people had been confirmed. Yeah. At church. And usually that there's all those people were there, but after they were confirmed, it was like, see ya. Yep. And I checked the box. I did it. Check and I quit. So what do you all hear when you hear his story? What did God do? He opened him up with a moment in his life, right? And usually the mess is something that makes you realize you're vulnerable and you're not in control. Okay, I mean, when you hear people tell their story and they talk about a mess in their life, it's usually because their world has been rocked and in particular, their control has been shattered. I thought I was in control, I thought everything was okay and then mom dies, or I think I'm okay and then this happened, okay? And so usually the mess in your life it doesn't have to be a huge mess, but it usually is something that challenges your sense of self-preservation or your sense of uh, being in control. And then, often a message you've heard before, a lot of times it's not a new message. You know that Jesus went to the cross. You grew up in it, whatever it is. But something happens, and all of a sudden that message is alive. It clicks, you said it clicks. Yeah. It's not new information, but now in light of your mess, this message is an answer, and it's the answer, and somehow deep inside you know that, okay? That's the Holy Spirit. And then God surrounds you with messengers. Could be one person, could be several, but you see in them something you want, something that you don't have. Um, and what you're seeing in them is Jesus. And they're different. You heard him say, they're different people. There's something different about them. And usually it's, they actually cared about me. They cared that I was hurting. They cared that something was happening to me. They cared that I didn't have the answers. They were okay that I wasn't an expert on biblical stuff. These people cared about me as a person. And what you hear is there's a relationship here. I only knew him for two weeks, but it's like we've known each other for a long time. That's God. And, and so you have to understand that, he, yes, he decided to follow Christ, but he was simply responding to a move of the Holy Spirit in his life. Um, I had the same, different experience, but same. It's, it's usually my world is rocked. A message I've heard before now not only makes sense, but like really makes sense. And then God sends people to help me make that step, okay? Anybody else have a similar experience? No? Okay. I think a lot of us have that experience, actually. <laughs> it's estimated that 80% of believers will tell you those three things came together in a moment. Um, and often, you, it, it doesn't have to be a catastrophic moment, but it's usually something where you realize um, well, like I've seen several times, we had a kid in our youth group, well, two things. 
about 15 years ago, we had a kid in our youth group overdose and die. And for many people, that was the first time they dealt with death. Um, and that was the mess that got their attention. That was the one that, you know, they're like, wow, this could be me. Or, you know, all this talk, I mean, it's, they always say when you're young, you think you're invincible. Um, but that could have been me. And it, and it opened their eyes to, I need to consider cry. I need to consider this. About five years ago or so, um, uh, a young kid in our church was accidentally shot and killed. Um, and when I did his funeral, there were several people that came uh, up and talked to me about this is the first time they've ever had to deal with death um, or the, the finality of life. And so it could be any number of things, but usually it's something that makes you aware that you're not in control. Uh, and the funny thing is you never have been. <laughs> There's never been a moment of your life when you had any control over anything, but somehow we think we're in control. Um, and uh, God usually combines those three things. And it's amazing to watch um, because often people, it's the mess that opens them up. They've heard the message. And, you know, um, major events, 9-11, um, you know, different things will suddenly make people go, wait a minute, I may not have this, I may not be in control the way I thought I was. Um, but God usually combines those three things. Other thoughts? I think it's part of your testimony when you think about your testimony. Including those three things is important if it happened to you. Uh, so like, um, you know, I was going along and then this happened and then this person showed up who, like I, for me, I was somebody who worried a lot because I always wanted to be in control. And then I met somebody who didn't worry at all. And it wasn't that they were stupid, they just didn't worry. They trusted God. And I remember watching her going, how does she do that? I want to do that. I want to be at peace like that. I've never seen peace like that. I want that. Um, and then I asked her, how come you can be at peace? Her world was falling apart. She was fine. Not fine, but I mean, she was okay. And she's like, well, it's Jesus. And I was like, oh man, I didn't want it to be Jesus. I wanted, like, I wanted to be Ativan or something. What do you think? And I had to deal with it. You know, it's Jesus. Uh, and she found a peace and I wanted that peace. I saw Jesus in her. Uh, and that's what you saw in your friends. That's what, in that moment, God will send people to reach you. And so if you think about it, there are people around you right now that may be headed to that moment tomorrow and God's going to put you in that circumstance to be Jesus. And he set it all up. And all you got to do is step into it and just love them. Um, it's, it's incredibly uh, easy as long as you're following what God wants you to do. If you're going to decide on your own that somebody has to be saved today, you're going to have a hard day because that's God's choice and God's timing, not yours. Um, so, all right. Any other thoughts? Questions? Arguments? Debates? You can tell me I'm nuts. I'm, it's okay, I've been told that before. What do you think about Megaphone Man? What's been your experience? Have you ever watched that? No. You haven't? Uh-uh. I was just curious about what your thoughts were on, on that guy. What does he do? He does the megaphone thing, but he uh, he 
does it with the intention of getting into a conversation with somebody. Okay. It's not like yelling. So he uses that as a as an entrance into having a good civil conversation. Okay. As opposed to just walking up to somebody. Yeah. Okay. But it's not like you know he goes to lunch with them after or something. It's just like yeah. It's like street preaching. Well, when I talk about megaphone, I'm not talking about street preaching. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I do believe that if you're going to do street preaching and you're going to reach people, you better be sharing love and compassion because they've already had enough judgment. They've already had enough ridicule. They've already had enough uh, from the church of those things. Um, what they need is grace and love and compassion. So do you um, think that's, it's okay to street preach? Sure, of course. As long as your heart is to love people. Yeah. If you're out there street preaching to hear yourself or to have people look at you or think you're uh, all that, then no, you're there for the wrong reasons. But people will pick up on it. If you're, if you're there, I mean, let me put it this way. Suppose you're downtown um, and you're just walking downtown and you tell people that you see and you meet, um, wow, God, uh, I really want you to know God really loves you. He really, really loves you. Have a great day. Okay? If they want to talk to you, they'll talk to you. Okay? As opposed to some of the ones I've seen have been very much, I'm trying to remember the name of the ministry where they teach them to challenge them with the Ten Commandments and convince them that they're sinners and that they're going to burn in hell. And one of the actors is big into it. Um, Kirk Cameron is big into that movement. Um, and I just think it's a hateful way of telling people about God, even if it's true. Um, so I'm all for anybody telling anybody about Jesus as long as they're doing it with love and not from arrogance. Um, I mean, we're to tell people about Jesus. I think it's wonderful. But make sure that you're doing it in love, that's all. So how do you approach people that are saved, but they have no compassion or empathy for people that have gone through things? Yeah. Um, I think um, a couple of things. One is, in fact, it's interesting you say that because uh, over the last year, I've been mentoring somebody who really has a very harsh heart. Um, because of previous hurts and he's oblivious to it. He doesn't really know it. Um, and um, the way I try to approach those people is um, I continually share with them the love that God has for people. Um, you, you're not gonna be able to challenge them directly on their lack of compassion because that's something the spirit has to do. Um, but um, you can help somebody see um, there by the grace of God go I. That, you know, here, here's somebody who, you know, Jesus would probably be more direct with that person. You claim to follow me and you're judging them and putting them down or whatever. Um, but one of the biggest challenges I have are people who profess to follow Christ and aren't broken. Um, and I would argue uh, if I was going to have that discussion with somebody that I knew closely, I would ask them to examine whether they have the heart of God in them. Because if you have the Holy Spirit in you, 
unless you're in some kind of unforgivable sin or some sin that you've, unrepentant sin, I mean, um, to where the Spirit is really can't manifest Himself in you, you should over time develop love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And you should develop a love for other people, a compassion for other people. Remember, fruit of the Spirit is a natural product of growth, not something you make happen. So if you're connected to Jesus, you will begin to love, care, and change. If that's a new believer, I give them time. They're in kindergarten. Uh, but I try to share with them the love that we have for other people. Um, a lot of people come from backgrounds where they've been so unloved, it's hard for them to believe they're loved or to even share that love with others until they've learned to grow up a little bit. Um, but if it's a mature believer, they should be showing signs of love and compassion and it should be a natural product of who they are. And Jesus says, if you abide in me, these things will grow. So if it were a friend of mine, I would ask him two questions. Uh, are you abiding? Are you spending time with Jesus? Because if you spend time with Jesus every day, you will develop a heart for other people. You, you can't not do it. Um, if you're just giving him lip service and you're not really abiding with him, then you're on your own, essentially. Um, and then my question becomes, if the Spirit of God is in you and everything the Spirit of God wants to do is connect with and, and praise Jesus, then he will drive you to spend time with Christ and to abide and to spend time in prayer. Um, and so I tell people, um, pray until God breaks your heart and then keep praying because I guarantee you the heart of God when he looks at lost people is his heart's broken because they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd and they don't know the way home. So if you're not feeling that, God needs to break you some more. Um, and that's part of spiritual growth. It's allowing the Spirit of God to rule your life. Well, I guarantee you, um, tomorrow this whole place will be full of people that are running from God. And I know it breaks his heart. Um, so as somebody that's a follower of Christ, I would just encourage them, you know, if you're not manifesting the evidence of the Spirit, then you're probably paying lip service to God and either you put something ahead of him or you never got, you were never there to begin with. Um, I mean, I, I think one of the things we don't do as a church enough when we're discipling each other is if you've been following Jesus for seven or eight years and you don't think you're becoming more loving and more joyful and more peaceful and you have more self-control and you don't see change in your life, you better go back and make sure that you fully surrender to the Spirit. Because when you're embodied with the Spirit, He has to manifest Himself. And we don't talk about that enough. I think there are a lot of people filling the pews of my church and other churches, or not my church, God's, but they're in these churches that said a prayer, never had a heart and desire to repent, never were broken, and they believe they're saved and they don't, they're not saved. There, there's been a shred of evidence of the Holy Spirit in them in 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 years. Um, and that's my concern about you know, moving somebody too quickly to a prayer and convincing them that they're saved. Um, that's something God does. Um, but, you know, Paul even says over and over, you know, by now you should be eating meat and you're, on, you're still nursing. Um, and I think it's important periodically that we look at ourselves and say, am I more loving this year than I was five years ago? And if I'm not, what's wrong? Because I should be. Um, 
I think it's it's amazing to me that if you were disciplined in anything else, so uh, if you were going to run marathons, right, you track your time year to year, you compare how you're doing year to year, you'd know if you're on track with your training, you'd know if you're dedicating enough time, you'd know what your diet looks like, you'd know what all your training looks like, and you'd track your times and your splits and all that sort of stuff. But in spiritual growth, we just like, I guess I'm growing. When really it should be, God, show me where I've, love more, show me where I have more compassion. Show me what, I, what, what areas of my life do there need to be less of me and a lot more of you. Um, so you can't make somebody have compassion for someone else, but if they're a believer, you can certainly share the heart of Jesus and then let them see themselves in light of that heart. So like tonight, I mean, you know, Jesus has a heart for people. He, they're broken. They're 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 without a shepherd. And if at some level you're not moved to, you know, wow, you know, I really need to think about how I look at people who are lost. Uh, I need to make sure I'm not victimized. I want to make sure I'm not blaming them for they're victims of a of a spiritual battle that's killing them. I need to have more compassion. I need to be more patient. I need to. I mean, that's what the Spirit does in you. Um, but eventually, over time, God will break that down. Um, and all you can really do is just share with them the reason why you have the hope and the love that you have. Um, but you'll see people. I see people all the time. We lost probably half our church um, and more because of the homeless ministry. I mean, people, I can't believe y'all are doing this. It's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and people want... <laughs> Many people want the homeless taken care of and ministered to, they just don't want it done at their church um, because it's threatening to them, I guess, or something. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people who are saved or who believe they're saved are, are pretty selfish about their own faith and what they've been given. And eventually God breaks that down. Uh, you know, you can't expect people that are spiritually in kindergarten to act like they're in college but you can expect people who are in college to act like they're in college. Um, And I think that's important.